Chargers just released a new EP called, well, the Wave Chargers EP. You can find them on Bandcamp at q-soundsrecording.bandcamp.com. Look them up and check out the song La Revanche du Kuramaku. That's the song you're hearing right now, and you're going to hear it in its entirety. At the end of this episode, it's episode 271 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to have my friend Michael Leggi back on the show this week. He's going to talk to us about his new book, Dr. Drek's B-Movie Museum. It came out on Amazon. It's $12.99 as a print edition. It's also available for your Kindle. And after you hear the conversation with me and Michael, if it sounds like a book you want to add to your collection, head over to monsterkidradio.net, click on the stores button, get to the Amazon link. It's under the book reference section of the Monster Kid Radio Laboratory. That's what we call the Amazon store that we run here at MKR. When you do that, you support Michael and you throw a couple of cents our way as well. But check out the conversation first. It's a good conversation because we talk about the book and a number of other things as well. Because, you know, a couple of monster kids love these monster movies. We're going to talk about these monster movies and just kind of go all over the map. But it's a good conversation. It was a lot of fun to record, a lot of fun to edit, and I think you're going to have a lot of fun listening to it. We're going to dive into that after I spin a couple of trailers right now. Monsters of Hollywood magazine names it Chuck Award winner The Monster of Piedras Blancas The Monster of Piedras Blancas The world's most shocking monster Stalks its unsuspecting prey Feasts its eyes on the next victim to writhe in its slimy arms The screen's most nightmarish beast A claw-fingered, scaly-skinned, half-human crustacean, turning a lonely lighthouse village into a frenzied bedlam of blood-curdling horror. Never have you known such cringing terror, such... ...drawn by love to the forbidden cove of the sea monster, then trapped in a torment of unendurable suspense. In the screen monsterama of a thousand incredible... See the movie named the most brain-paralyzing shock story of them all, The Monster of Piedras Blancas. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the Monster vs. Monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, 
psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. of a deadly cosmic ray, the Earth is invaded by indestructible moon monsters. Their ghastly mission, death for all humans. What astounding technical developments are being made to protect mankind? Robot Monster brings you an actual preview of the devastating forces of our future. Unsuspected revelations of incredible horrors that will terrify you with their brutal reality. There is no escape from me. Fool humans, there is no escape. Welcome back to Monster Kid Radio, a friend of the podcast, a horror host, and now he's the man behind the book, Dr. Drex's B-Movie Museum. Welcome, Michael Leggy. How's it going, man? All right. Recovering from an illness, but I'm all right otherwise. Doctor, heal thyself. Yes. How many times have I heard that one? <laughs> yeah, I'm probably not the first. I know I'm not the first. <laughs> <laughs> you can't take any inspiration from any of the mad doctor movies you watch to try to come up. I mean, Dr. Dreck can't come up with something. Come on. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe I could kidnap Strauss and Ullman and give them my bronchitis. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, get the House of Frankenstein reference. There we go. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm there with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> How have things been going for Dr. Drek otherwise? Well, we, we just started shooting our, our uh, 11th season. I'm going to interrupt here real quick because after we got done recording, Michael contacted me and said they actually started season 12, not season 11. We're going to blame that gaffe on his bronchitis and my kind of sort of sore throat. Back to the conversation. I just turned out about, let's see, five shows trying to pick the, you know, the oddities that I usually try to find. I don't know if you've ever heard of The Clairvoyant with Claude Rains and Fay Ray. I don't think I have, but it sounds like something I need to see. Yeah, it's a British uh, movie where Claude Rains is a fake psychic, but then he starts getting the real thing, the real visions of catastrophes and stuff. So that's a nice little obscurity. We're showing Condemned to Live, which is an early vampire movie with mm -hmm. Ralph Morgan in it. Misha Awa plays a hunchback. It's a very strange and different type of uh, vampire movie. It's it's low-key. It's very old and creaky, but, I mean, what do you expect when it's the early 30s? Sure, nothing wrong with that. No, no. And uh, what else are we showing? Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. How about it, Jesse? You haven't got a chance. We hold 
hold the secret of life. He wanted to save a friend. She wanted a world of obedient killer zombies. Jesse James will kill us for what you are doing. Jesse James will be caught and hanged in Shelby. fiendish Frankenstein monster stalks the West's most fearless outlaw. Save your strength, Jesse James. You will need it. Oh, man. Some Bill Bodine. <laughs> wow. Oh, brother. I did before. I saw the uh, double feature when it really came out as a kid. I think I was 10, 13. I don't remember, but... That was with Billy the Kid versus Dracula. So John Carradine was Dracula in that one. Mm-hmm. But Jesse James beats Frankenstein's daughter, though, has uh, the guy from Dallas, Jim Davis. Yes, yes. Jim Davis is the sheriff, and I think Nesta, I never know how to say this guy's name, Nesta Piava, Pava? Right, guy from, from Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, he's a bartender in it, I think. I, Lucas, so. can do it. Yes, that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, Hopefully he doesn't sell Rokinone in his uh, bar, whatever that was that he used to paralyze the creature with. But, no, you got it. You got it. <laughs> yeah. That's just a few of the things we're doing. I think so. It's not like fun, man. Yeah, the most fun is finding them. Yeah? Well, you know, our hosts, unfortunately, are stuck to the public domain stuff. So a lot of us show the same things over and over and over. I get a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, sometimes I go more to just kind of spooky mystery. They don't have a supernatural or a sci-fi element to it, but they're still kind of weird. I think that's actually a really wise way to go because, like you said, there are only so many public domain movies and so only so many good transfers of them out there. Right, yeah. So it, you do have to kind of broaden your focus your target, yes. you know, what you're targeting here to try to find something that either nobody's shown before or very few people have. And I do really enjoy that that's what you do, that you do try to go you know, a little out here, some, some noirish type movies, some mystery type movies, some things that, you know, are spooky or whatever. There might not be a traditional monster, but I mean, listen to the opening credit music. That sounds great, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Usually you got to dig back into the, about the thirties, mm-hmm. sometimes the forties to find the really obscure stuff. Because a lot more of that stuff fell into public domain than, you know, the more recent stuff, obviously. And sure. Every once in a while, you just uh, find this little gem somewhere and says, whoa, where has this been hiding? Well, and what's interesting, too, that I would think is with these movies from the 30s and the 40s, the monster movie formula really hadn't been gelled quite right. I mean, right. there were things happening you know, with Dracula, Frankenstein, things like that. But you get some of these movies here that may be not are traditional monster movies, but you might see how they might influence some of the monster movies later. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's something that I find fascinating. I, I'd be a terrible horror host, though, because I'd be cutting in every five minutes saying, see this, this is what they did here, and this is what they did there. So <laughs> You'd have to put a crawl at the bottom of the movie constantly, like, like a Twitter feed. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right on. Well, one of the things that we've been trying to make sure that we do on Monster Kid Radio now with every guest. We have a game that we play here called the Classic Five. I've got a deck of cards here. I'm going to give it a good shuffle or two. Each one of these cards has a yes or no, this or that style question. There's no really wrong answer. It's just a fun little warm-up exercise. Get your vocal cords going in. You know, it's just fun to play. They're all about classic monster movies. Give it one more shuffle here. All right, here we go. Card number one, question number one for Michael Leggy. Favorite Jack Arnold film? 
It came from outer space. Yes, it came from outer space to fill the world with terror, to bring you unforgettable suspense. What was it? Where did it come from? Who were the all-powerful creatures it brought from outer space? And what did they want on Earth? You can learn the amazing answer only when you see the most thrilling picture in years. It came from outer space. In the astonishing realism of three dimensions, with objects coming right out of the screen, so real they almost touch you. Not creature, huh? No. Sorry about that. Wow. Okay. All right. All right. You know, more creature for me. (laughs) What prop from a classic monster movie would you like to own? Prop? Oh, my God. I don't know if you'd consider it a prop, but I'd like one of the robots from GOG. Ooh. I can imagine that standing in my living room. Built to serve man, its brain was an electronic miracle. It could think a thousand times faster, kill a thousand times faster. Then suddenly it became a Frankenstein of steel, out to destroy its makers. to miracles of science beyond imagination. Light that melts steel from a station in space. Rays that destroy man's most destructive weapons. Love that conquers terror. A strangely, intensely exciting romance in a world all its own. Sound that kills. Get some men up here and restore order. But what power on earth could stop it? Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> don't know where I'd put it, but that'd be amazing. And if I don't like somebody, you know, I just right. make them go after them. You know? There you go. There you go. Get this guy out of my house. <laughs> right, card number three. Oh, okay. The mole people or the Morlocks? Morlocks. Such stories as H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds and Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea have challenged mankind. So today, man is successfully probing deep into the mysteries of the universe. Can he penetrate the greatest mystery of all, time itself? of George Pell and the fabulous production know-how of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer to catapult you through time into a world that is yet to be. Why is it that we usually ignore the fourth dimension? 
you, you see, we can move in the other three. As the doctor said, up, down, forwards, backwards, sideways. But when it comes to time, we are prisoners. Inventor Rod Taylor's breakthrough into the realm of the fourth dimension is defied by his friend Alan Young. If that machine can do what you say it can, destroy it, George, before it destroys you. Every moment is a year, hurtling through the atomic wars of the future on an incredible excursion into the unknown. What are the people like? Ah, the shape of things to come. It's lovely Yvette Mimieu. And what happens when boy meets girl thousands of years hence? How do they wear their hair? Who? The women of your time. Up like that? Show me. Is this the human race of the future? Or is this the Morlocks, fiendish creatures who live in a weird underground world? And the Eloi, the tranquil sunshine people, who the Morlocks dominate and maintain like cattle, luring them below with the hypnotic wail of the sirens to feed upon them in cannibalistic horror. Brings to mind we just lost Alan Young. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I did not know he was still around. I was really surprised. He was like 96, I think. He was up there, but yeah, no, he was great in the time machine. Yeah, yeah. All right, card number four, question number four. Voyage to the bottom of the sea or voyage to the prehistoric planet? We're talking about the movies? Yeah. Voyage to the bottom of the sea. Okay. To the bottom of the sea. You are there when the entire sky catches on fire. The burning Van Allen belt threatening to destroy the universe. You are there in a deadly rain of disintegrating icebergs. Not even the soaring imagination of a Jules Verne could have dreamed of such a fantastic adventure in an atom-powered submarine that defies description. You've seen the brain of the sub. In here is the heart, the atomic motor room. There is more destructive force in this room than in all the explosives used in World War II. With a cast as exciting as the wonders they encountered. Walter Pigeon. We hope to see sights never before seen by man. Joan Fontaine. I say, the belt will burn itself out. At 173 degrees, it will burn itself out. Barbara Eden. <laughs> Peter Laurie. Sounds like Suko. Nothing is impossible. Robert Sterling. If I'm to meet your deadline of the Marianas, I need fighters, not fatalists. Michael and Sarah. And Frankie Avalon. With due respect, sir, I think your judgment's been a little rocky lately. Are you gold-bricking pipsqueak? You are there when the United Nations is thrown into a turmoil. The burning belt must be exploded clear of the Earth's magnetic field. And we have exactly 16 days and three hours in which to do it. Explode the belt and explode the world!
there when the frogmen battle a mammoth squid. You are there when Barbara Eden dances to Frankie Avalon's hot rhythms. You are there in outer space to see the earth encircled in fire. You are there when the mini-sub threads a life and death course through the minefields. You are there when the giant of the sea attacks. You are there in the most startling underwater pursuit ever filled. I haven't seen that one in forever. I think I'll have to dig that one up. Yeah, that's kind of fun. Yeah. And it's got Pete Lorian. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, final card, final question. Lon Chaney Sr. or Lon Chaney Jr.? Junior. Senior's good, but Junior's got the presence, man, of those monster movies. I love him. Yeah, yeah. And he's always, he tends to be unfairly regarded in a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. He was really a good character actor later in life. Unfortunately, he couldn't hold his liquor, which kept him from, you know, getting some better parts. But when he did something he really uh, respected, he stayed off uh, the booze and, and did a good job. He has a, a great uh, small role in uh, The Defiant Ones, the prison one. Mm-hmm. He had another small cameo, and I think it's called Not as a Stranger or something. It's a Robert Mitchum movie. Okay. He plays his alcoholic father. It's just one scene, but it's, it's, he's really good. He really is. A th- you know, High Noon, people usually know that one. Right, High Noon, Of Mice and Men, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he really was a great actor, and it's just kind of unfortunate to see where he went towards the end. But I can watch a Lon Chaney movie and just grin from ear to ear. You know, like movies like Manfish, which by no means should be enjoyable to watch. <laughs> you know, I still enjoy them, mostly because of Lon Chaney. Yeah, I'm going I'm to show that eventually because it's got very slight Edgar Allan Poe in it. It says it's based on Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, Telltale Heart and Gold Bug. Right. And I think there might be a skeleton in it, but that might be about it. Uh, if that. No, I don't think there's a skeleton it's in it. It's not like a, at, the, at the bottom of the water. I don't. I haven't seen yeah. it in forever. Yeah. Victor Jory's in it, too. He's crazy as a loon in it. Yeah, no. And one of the guys from one of the creature films. Is, uh, Bromfield, isn't it? That's yeah, right. Bromfield. Yeah. Isn't that as well? Yes, that's fun. See, that's why I like playing the Classic Five. You start talking about all these other movies or whatever. So thank you for playing. Okay, what do I win? Um, you get to be on Monster Kid Radio this week. Oh, jeez. <laughs> all right, I'll give back the new car then. <laughs> and maybe a free copy of the book Dr. Drex's B-Movie Museum. What do you think? Oh, um, yeah. I'll even autograph it to myself. Hey, there you go. <laughs> this is the new book. Uh came out earlier this year. What, when did it come out? Oh, it hasn't been out very long, actually, uh, about a month or so. You want to tell our listeners what it is? I mean, uh, I'll give you my thoughts, but intro the book for us. As I uh, said before, um seems like everybody writes a book about movies, and if they can do it, I can do it. <laughs> so <laughs> I decided to write a, a kind of episode guide, in a way, to my show. And I picked uh, a certain amount of movies that I felt like I wanted to comment on and put my own personal comments in them because I don't usually do that during the show. I mean, we may talk about them a little bit and, and kid them, but I don't really go into depth with them. And so I wanted to write a book that shows how much I love these movies. That even though I know that they're, a lot of them are ridiculous and outrageous and wild and crazy and all that, but that's the point is that they were made with that in mind. They weren't made with the idea of being Oscar winners. They were uh, made to be fun and entertaining, and they accomplished that, as far as I'm concerned. I, I remember I pointed out in the book somewhere that you can watch all kinds of acknowledged classic movies, which I do, obviously, but these 
little strange B-movies stick in your mind a lot longer and you want to see them over and over again. I would like to read just a sentence or two from your book that kind of illustrates your point here. And this is about the movie Robot Monster. And I think this kind of encapsulates exactly what you're saying here. It's pretty impossible to sit through this movie without laughing or at least smiling. It's so joyously goofy that you can't get mad at it for being so cheesy. These movies are just fun and entertaining. And you turn off, you know, the serious cinema file in you and just let these movies take you to wherever they're going to take you, even if it's back to the Bronson Caves again. And, (laughs) you know, you're just going to have a fun time. And maybe you'll see a cool monster like a man wearing a gorilla suit with a fishbowl on his head. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I pointed out that maybe there's a good reason for that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It made sense to me when I was thinking about it. Especially since I grew up during that era, so I remember those things. Yeah, yeah. Now, these movies, I mean, I was fortunate enough to provide uh, a quote on the back of the book along with uh, fellow Monster Kid radio friend Dwight Kemper. Douglas Waltz, the editor of Divine Exploitation, also contributed to the back of the book. These movies just need some, I don't know, some shining up, some nice presentation. And sometimes that's just you preparing yourself for the kind of movie you're going to watch. And I love that you go through and, yeah, maybe you'll poke fun at some of the things that are happening in the movies, kind of point out some of the ridiculousness. But this book never feels snarky. That's definitely what I wanted to do. (laughs) It seems like it was by design. It doesn't seem like you're ever really making fun of the movie overall. You might point out something here or there, but overall, I really enjoyed going through here and just, because these are the reasons why I love these movies. I think I said in the book that um, they're the movie equivalent of comic books. You wouldn't read a comic book expecting it to be a novel by Dostoevsky. <laughs> and if you do, then you really don't know what you're doing. Right. So, um, I mean, that's what they are. They're not meant to be taken all that seriously. And even the people that made them knew that when they were doing it. And if people, if snobs or people that just love to trash everything look at it from it's supposed to be like any major movie, then they're looking at it the wrong way. Agreed. Agreed. And we've talked a little bit about your hosting style, about how you don't interject yourself into the movie itself. So this seems like your way to kind of comment on the films without interrupting the films when you show them. The way the movies are organized in the book, is it by episode order of your show? How did you decide to organize it? Well, that's probably half of the movies that I've shown. They're not in the order they were shown. I did point out that uh, Voodoo Man was the first one we ever showed. Right. They're kind of in order. Even though they skip around, they might skip a few movies in between. So they're not exactly in, in order. I was uh, going through my uh, categories and my catalogs and seeing which ones really, to me, wanted to be commented on the most. And that's the ones that I did. I could have kept going. I could have made a volume two if I wanted, but and I just may do that. But the first bunch of them just uh, stuck uh, out to me to, to say something about. Almost all, well, I assume all of them are either public domain or orphaned works. And we were talking about that earlier about, you know, the public domain movies. Sometimes you'd have to really dig and you've got some in here that I don't know if I would have considered putting in a, in a collection like this. Uh, of course, off the top of my head, I can't think of any, but I remember I was looking at the table of contests. I'm like, <laughs> oh, hey, that one's in there. Like face of marble, for example. I mean, just the title itself doesn't lend itself to, Hey, that's a monster movie I need to watch, you know? But, I mean, you still give it its a do, and, I mean, it's a good movie. It's a very strange movie. It is odd, but, I mean, it's John Carradine, so. Yeah, yeah, and it's monogram. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it it was, it's kind of a schizo movie. It doesn't quite know what it wants to be. God, I saw that, the very first time I saw that was some late night horror 
TV show during the 60s. And I was very disappointed in it because I thought the, the sailor that they bring back to life was going to come up and be a zombie. And uh, that didn't happen. He didn't get anywhere. He didn't even get off the table. <laughs> you know, later on when I look at it now, I still see its flaws, but it's, it's more fun to watch now because it's, it's fun to watch everybody. Uh, Carradine, Robert Shane, even Willie Best, even though that's not politi politically correct, I still get a kick out of seeing all these people and uh, figuring that, you know, they threw this movie off in probably a week or so. <laughs> But they still managed to get a lot of atmosphere in it, even uh, you know, with chump change. I've long believed that the less money you have, the more creative you have to get with what you're doing when it yeah. comes to art, especially film. As somebody who thought he was going to be a filmmaker when he grew up, I, I loved trying to make low-budget movies with my friends or in college or whatever. Uh, and not having a lot of money, but still trying to figure out the best way to pull off something grand and something big. And these movies do that. And they got released by... I mean, studios and distribution companies, these movies made it. Movies like The Brain That Wouldn't Die yeah. that tries to give you a car crash <laughs> without actually giving you a car crash. Right, and does it very well. You've lost the urge to experiment. Oh, every time you touch me, I go out of my mind. kept alive by experimental science, by a man whose abnormal passions inspired him to try the impossible. I brought her back. She'll live and I'll get her another body. Yes, and what of her soul? How can you make of her an experiment of horror? His mad ambitions and desires threaten every woman possessing an attractive body. Girls whose measurements make them beauty contest participants. Professional figure models such as this. All are prey to his distorted desires. What's locked behind that door? Horror. No normal mind can imagine. Something even more terrible than you. Horror has its ultimate. And I'm that. Behind that door is the sum total of Dr. Cordner's mistakes. He intends to kill somebody. Stop them of their body. We've got to stop him. I love it. I love being able to kind of see a little bit through the seams because to me it just makes me enjoy the movie even more. What's been the best reaction to the book so far? Some of the fan mail I'm getting is a lot of people from my era, my age, the 60s, and they appreciate it's a point of view, fortunately. They, um, <laughs> cause they're like me. They grew up watching these things on TV when you could in the days where you had, to, you were at the mercy of the television stations and when they would show these things. And so it brought back memories for a lot of people, but I do get the appreciation that they're feeling. You know, I didn't write a book just to trash everything, which was far from my mind. I think a lot of what was behind doing the book too was that. I'm an independent filmmaker and I have been for decades. I know what it's like to make a movie for, for nothing, for no money. So I feel defensive when people jump all over a cheap movie just for being cheap. 
because that's not the point. The point is to, to make a movie in the first place because it's so easy to sit around and criticize something that you've never done. And until you find out how it is to do one of those things, um, you can't appreciate what work goes into them, no matter how badly they come out. They still got out there somehow. If somebody's watching them, then you got that far anyway. I think that's probably the best way to put it for me, too. I would get really defensive when somebody would attack a movie for being low budget or cheap or, or being able to see the zipper in the back of the monster suit because I tried doing it myself, and, and I know it can be tough. But I don't think you have to be a low-budget filmmaker to enjoy the book. I don't want listeners to think it's that narrowly focused in terms of audience. Monster kids of all ages and all careers, I guess, are really going to dig this, I think. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> I think I say in the introduction that if you're uh, what not to look for in this book, <laughs> <laughs> and that would be like, you know, the... Typical three pages of a plot synopsis before you get to the point or uh, finding out new trivia or facts, because I think everybody's covered everything about these movies between all the books that are out, especially by McFarland Publishing. So it's going to just be my personal point of view, and that's it. Right, between McFarland and Bear Manor Media, I think we've got all the behind the scenes and interviews we're going to get for now. Yeah. In each one of the movies listed in here, it is not an in-depth beat-by-beat plot synopsis. You get maybe about a paragraph. Yeah, I usually give like a, a one or two sentence. Right, if that. Kind of jokey synopsis at the top of the page. I assume everybody has probably seen the movies. They're very easy to see for the most part because they're shown a lot. And if they're not, if a movie that somebody hasn't seen, then maybe it'll make them want to see it. There's a couple in here that I unfortunately have not seen. I haven't seen all the movies out there, ladies and gentlemen. Not, <laughs> <laughs> you know, hate to destroy any kind of illusion, but I've not seen every classic or not-so-classic monster movie. But there are movies listed in your book that I have not seen that I know I need to track down because I've read... I, mean, I need to see them anyway, but reading about them makes me want to see them even more. And then some of the ones that I've already seen after reading about them again, I want to go back and watch them again like dead man walk or adam age vampire you will freeze as you watch a warped scientist become transformed into a godless beast when his bloody scalpel probes the forbidden secrets of a woman's flesh in adam age vampire you will flame for the stark ritual of a beautiful girl's last searing dance as tragedy forever mars her loveliness leaving her to face a world of terror. I give you my word that I will restore your face, restore all your beauty. You will cringe as the demented doctor experiments with a girl's trusting innocence. But to possess the living miracle wrought by his twisted genius, he must forever sacrifice his soul to the cunning gods of evil. I'll transplant directly from another human being. A mad creature born of the atomic age, now shackled to a world of rotting bodies and violent death. A sadist, a criminal, a depraved animal, more ferocious than Jekyll, more monstrous than Frankenstein, more bloody than Dracula. Fire a volley through the window pane. You will gasp as lust and madness stalk the dark and screaming night in Adam Age Vampire. These are great films. And knowing there's somebody by the name of Michael Leggy out there on the other side of the country who loves them just as much as I do, there's a, a sense of instant community by reading about these movies that you love so much in a book like this. Yeah, yeah. I always uh, am interested, too, when you have Steve Sullivan on because we're approximately the same age and he grew up in Massachusetts, I believe. 
So we share a lot of the same memories of things. Mm -hmm. You know, that's another thing where uh, it's like, hey, there's somebody like me out there, and they're even even my age. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, there there is a slight age difference between you and I, but uh, I mean, we're kindred spirits, man. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah, It's all good. Something else that's in the book, it's not just movie synopses and, and reactions there are a few bits here and there like your memories of going to the drive-in yeah and one of my favorite sections the poverty row of magazines is what you call it this like three four page section in here yeah classic monster movie magazines wasn't just famous monsters of film land there are so many magazines that if you start looking didn't have the same distribution but they're so good i love to just flip through them you know, feel the pages the newsprint smell the bad ink yeah Oh, there's, there's so many, you know, these magazines are older than me sometimes, but there's so many instant memories that come from them. I can just feel, you know, the, the, the age and the nostalgia kind of coming off of these pages. You've got a lot of pictures of a magazine called Horror Monsters, which I've heard of, but I've never actually seen in person or held. What was that magazine? Do you know? Horror Monsters and Mad Monsters were companion magazines. They were published by Charlton Publishing, who, uh, was right here in uh, New England. They were in uh, Derby, Connecticut, I believe. They were uh, mostly a comic book publisher. You may be familiar with a lot of the comics they uh, published, like the Gorgo ones. Sure. Telicus, Conga, things like that. The many graves, uh, many something, Ghosts of Dr. Graves, I think it was. But they, they put out, uh, during the monster craze of the early and mid-60s, they put out those two magazines. And they were the, the cheapest magazines that uh, I've had. I've got all of them. They made 10 of each, so I've got 20. Okay. But they lasted for a few years, which uh, was longer than a lot of the other ones. And they were ones that were fairly easy for me to find around here. There was just something about that particular publishing company. Part of it was that, oh, this is New England. These people are in New England making this. So that was kind of a cheap thrill. But um, they were on really cheap, like newsprint paper. So the reproductions of photos and stuff wasn't very good. But they showed uh, and went into depth about a lot of movies that I hadn't seen at the time because I was, whatever, 10, 8 years old. And the thing about uh, them, which I, I mentioned in the book, is when they did a film book, which Famous Monsters did, but it almost seemed like they had a copy of the script and printed it because it had all the exact dialogue from the movies. I mean, these are the days where you couldn't record movies off the TV and watch them later. Right. So I could sit down and read Invasion of the Body Snatchers or Frankenstein is the Wolfman, House of Frankenstein. And they had all the dialogue on the page. And it was just so weird. It was like watching the movie again, even though you were sitting here reading a magazine. Uh, Famous Monsters did something similar, but I don't think they ever went into the depth that that did. That was really a lot of fun. They're probably hard to find because they probably didn't have a, a very big circulation. But uh, you can find them still on, on eBay and places like that. I want to talk about the cover of your book. Yes. We're friends on Facebook. I, I've seen your videos. I've seen your films. I don't know if I've ever seen you look so into what I'm thinking intently <laughs> as I'm seeing you on this cover. It's a little scary. Um, <laughs> but I love it. it. It's just a picture of you as Dr. Drek in some sort of film warehouse vault. <laughs> and what monster is that peeking behind the... That's the Monster of Pages Blancas. Is that Blanca? Oh, man, I love that film. I actually have to give credit to one of my fans for that because 
I did a preliminary book cover and I posted it and uh, somebody suggested you should have a monster peeking out from behind the shelf. And so I found him and put him in there. That's a great monster. Uh, monster Piotr's point. You know, I've never talked about that film on the show proper. I really should, because it is one of my favorites. Such a great monster design. Yeah, that's one of the ones, uh, speaking of um, those horror monsters, mad monsters book. I think that's the first time I saw that. I saw a photo of it. You know, the famous one of him holding the severed head in his hand. <laughs> yeah. Or claw, should I say. Yeah. And that was before I ever saw the movie. And I said, God, what movie is this? And then finally it was on. I like that suit. You know, I love monster suits anyway. But um, that is one nasty-looking monster. And it's kind of a hodgepodge of other suits. I mean, it's not... <laughs> yeah, it, it's... Well, it's nothing that occurred through nature. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, between him and the, the creature from the Black Lagoon, the creature from the Black Lagoon always looks like somebody that you might be able to reason with <laughs> if you gave him a chance. Okay. But Monster Pages Blankers would just rip your head off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks... Terrifying, and just the claws themselves, those huge talons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. That's a good film. I really enjoy that one. So, again, you flipping through the book, you end up stumbling across some movies like, oh, man, I love that one. I wish more people talked about it. Monster Pietas Blancas, I don't think has ever had an official DVD home release. I don't think so. It might have been put out on VHS once. I don't know. It probably was. A lot of things were, but yeah, a lot of them didn't make the crossover, though, too. Or whoever had the rights to them, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, that's that's why you can't get Teenage Werewolf or Teenage Frankenstein on DVD. You know, the person who has the rights to those doesn't want to put them out on DVD, but had no problem putting them out on VHS. Yeah. Fortunately, I got the VHS copies of them. I had them. I don't know what happened to them. But. Although the thing about the um, VHS of I Was a Teenage Frankenstein, it's mm -hmm. the British version. Really? It has cuts in it. Because huh. one of the scenes that kind of shocked me when I was a kid, when I first saw it, is when they uh, first get uh, Gary Conway's head. Yeah. He shows it. I see it's Gary Conway's head in like a birdcage or something. They pull this cloth off of this birdcage, and there's Gary Conway's head, you know, his dead head there. And that was taken out. Huh. I had no idea all this time. Yeah. That was censored out of the British one. And uh, I think there might have been a um, little more of the body part stuff that was censored. But I distinctly remember the head. Now, I do remember the body part sequence where he's, as they're picking up, like, the severed limbs, he makes sure he brings them right in front of the camera before he takes them to his table. So <laughs> <and puts> them <laughs> onto the body. Like, yeah, that's pretty pretty obvious Yeah, <laughs> what you're doing here. No, that's a good film, though. I love that. Again, those are movies I have not talked about in full on these shows. And, you know, I could probably just use your table of contents as a checklist. I should talk about this movie and that movie and this movie and that movie. Yeah, and a lot of them a lot of them that I did, I purposely did the ones that I usually put down by other people because uh, somebody needs to defend them, and that's what I'm for. Me, me and the guys from Forgotten Horrors. <laughs> yes, the Forgotten Horrors podcast. If you haven't listened to that show, you need to. It doesn't come out very often, so between episodes, read their books because they're fantastic. Yes. They have, like, my encyclopedias. I got a whole shelf of them. Mm -hmm. And you even have an introduction from Michael H. Price from Forgotten Horrors. Yes, I was uh, really, really happy when I um, managed to finagle that because, I mean, he doesn't know me from Adam. And I, I sent him a section of the book before it was even done. And I said, we look at this, I think we have the same attitude. And I'd really, you know, appreciate it if you wrote forward because a lot of the movies that I found has been through Forgotten Horrors book. 
And he very graciously wrote a very nice forward for me. Wow. Just so you just, just like a cold call, just a letter saying, hey, love what you do, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Having his name at the front of a book like this puts this book right at home with some of the Forgotten Horrors books, uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, it does have that same kind of approach to the movies. Uh, yours is a little more comical. <laughs> and I think that's yeah. just the Dr. Dreck coming through. Yeah, I wanted to make it fun to read, but mm-hmm. uh, not too, you know, not too serious and deadly serious, like a um, film snob or something. I mean, it's the same kind of attitude that we have on the show. Definitely the same kind of attitude that I try to have here on the podcast, too. And I mean, I think that's the best way to go. It makes it just sit down and watch these movies that you know are terrible, that by all rights should be awful. But you can't help but just smile and laugh and have a blast. Of the movies listed in this book, if you were to recommend one or two for people to just go and sit, what would be your go-to movies? Two or three that you'd recommend to people that might be interested in getting these kind of movies? Well, Monster of Pages Blancus was one. <laughs> um, I've always had a strange fondness for the Brain Eaters. Oh. What is it? I don't know. Ejected from unexplored secret stratus, this giant, harder-than-steel piston, disgorges strange creatures, inundating our world, twisting the emotions of women, distorting our men. This is a piece we got off the mare. Reflex action like a snake. Cut a snake in half and the two pieces go off in different directions. These things take over a man's mind, he becomes a... A robot? A machine taking orders? Join the hunt for the hiding place of terror. Find the breeding place of these globs of destruction. In feeding the mouth parts, rupture the cells, convey the food to the stomach by a, a pumping action. adventure that'll burst your blood vessels with suspense. See the Brain Eaters. It's one of the very low-budget AIP movies, but it was directed by Bruno Vesoto, who uh, was this kind of very heavy-set, beefy guy that usually was acting in, in uh, Roger Corman movies and whatever. He may, He's probably best known for being in Attack of the Giant Leeches as the cuckolded husband of Yvette Vickers. Mm-hmm. I guess they had litigation about it, but it ripped off the Puppet Master's uh, plot. Oh, oh, just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> it seemed like he tried to uh, shoot it in a different way. It's got a, a noirish kind of look to it that I liked. And, uh, of course, I like seeing Ed Nelson anywhere. He's like a standby guy. <laughs> sure. It was just so funny when I had read somewhere that um, the brain eaters themselves, Ed Nelson said that he took these uh, ladybug wind-up toys and they glued fur on them and pipe cleaners. And that was the brain eaters. And what was funny was that but as a kid, I had one of those ladybug wind-up toys. <laughs> All that time, I had a brain eater. I didn't know it. Oh, no. So then I knew exactly what he was talking about because I used to have those running across my kitchen. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I just have a, a fondness for that. And, of course, Leonard Nimoy's in it at the very end, even though you can't recognize him. But you know his voice when you hear it. Oh, yeah. I watched The Brain Eaters for the first time a couple of years ago on Halloween. And 
man, I really enjoyed it. And you're right. It does have that kind of film noirish, really playing with the shadows, trying to be creepy feel that you don't get with things like uh, the puppet masters. And I just, mm, it's a really good film. It's a good call, man. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> dead men walk would be, no. Uh, yeah, I did bring up that point, which nothing against George Zuko, who I love, but wouldn't it have been interesting if Lugosi was his brother, the vampire brother. Mm-hmm. So we had both Zuko, Lugosi, and Dwight Fry in the same movie again. Would have been great. That would have really been good. Uh, Dwight Fry, you and I are, are big Dwight Fry fans. I, I have you to be partly responsible for my fandom of Dwight Fry now. Before it was just like, ah, oh, he's the guy in those movies. Now I love what he does. Uh, seeing yeah. the case of Dr. Crispy last year was just amazing. Yeah, he, he suddenly will pop up in things, mm-hmm. uh, but so briefly that you want him to stay. <laughs> yeah. Don't go, Dwight. Stay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he pops up in a lot of, of movies. It's uh, it's just so tragic to me, his career of since uh, there's that um, book, Dwight Fry's Last Laugh. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I am. I haven't read it yet. And, and you find out his background and all the experience he had on the stage and that he was a, a comedy star and, and all that. And uh, not that uh, you don't wish he never did Renfield or Fritz or anything, but you wish he had gotten more breaks to do varied kind of roles, but he didn't get the chance. He got typed. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that makes me think of Lugosi's career as well, who got typed and, and just... Man, if they had all had a chance to do more. And it's the what-ifs that I, I kind of am drawn to as well when it comes to uh, your book. There's a what-if that you pose to the readers at the end of the section on The Amazing Transparent Man. I often wonder what would have happened to Edgar Ulmer if he hadn't fallen from grace from Universal Pictures. He certainly created a classic with The Black Cat. If he had stayed, would he have directed other Universal horrors down the line? I wonder how his version of House of Frankenstein or Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman would have looked. Wow. Those movies would be gorgeous to look at. Not that they're not good now, but if Ulmer directed something like that, one of the monster rallies, man. I'm wondering uh, if the Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, he'd have a go see talking. Yeah, that's like true. Like supposed to be. Yeah. And maybe he would have done it right. Man, just the, the possibilities. And Ulmer's another one of those guys whose career <laughs> took a certain detour because of some things he did behind the, you know, when he wasn't making a movie. Um. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was making somebody, but he yeah, wasn't well, making a movie. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> no, that is too bad about him. But he's another one of those guys that even though he had, a, you know, goes back to what we were saying, you have a low budget doesn't mean you don't have high creativity. So something like The Amazing Transparent Man, which is a little slow in spots, it's still fun to watch because it's got that Ulmer touch. You can still see what he's doing with the shadows and the camera placement. Still an enjoyable film. Yeah, he worked with what he had, which is a lot, uh, a lot more than some people would have done. Um, I mean, William Bodine kind of just got through the day. and like i was kidding jerry warren's movies it's like he turned on the camera went home and then came back at the end of the day you never know what he was doing (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) definitely see that uh william one shot bodine there's a character there's a there's a guy who i would like to learn more about i don't know he must have have directed hundreds of movies it seems yeah tons of movies and, and all different kinds of course being monster kids were or the shakurama double feature that he did but he did all sorts of different types of movies and was all over the map but yeah he was <laughs> we show up start the camera go home at five <laughs> yeah, we're done see you tomorrow everybody yeah well william bodine i think um he has a famous um quote about i guess it was probably when he was doing one of the monograms 
the studio uh, wanted to push him to to move it along fast, move the production along faster, and he, he supposedly said, "You mean somebody's actually waiting to see this?" <laughs> hey, you know, at least he had a job doing what he loved, right? Yeah, well, at least yeah. I hope he loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. He must have loved the paycheck anyway. So there you go, there you go. And uh, this past month, I've been trying to cover some of the Luchador monster movies, and you've got one in here. Yes. You've got Samson in the Wax Museum, which was the American title of one of the Santo films. Right. I'm blanking on the guy's name who brought that over. Jacob Murray. That's right. Yeah, I, I, that was the first Santo movie I, I ever saw. And I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> and then I got used to it. Okay, yeah, all right. So they treat their wrestlers like superheroes and stick them in movies. I guess that's no different from us taking Hulk Hogan and put, putting them in a movie or whatever. Well, so, I, I would say the Santo movies are better than the Hulk Hogan movies. Oh, yeah, I would say me. that, too. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> I pointed out in the book, too, that when I initially used to see those Mexican movies, I thought I was disappointed. You know, I didn't, oh, it's not an American movie. But as I grew older and started to watch them, I really got to love them. There's just so, more than just another country, it seems like another planet that they make movies on. <laughs> <laughs> when you see the Samson movies or the uh, wrestling women or especially the Brainiac, which is my favorite. I was going to ask about the Brainiac, because you've got that in here as well. Yeah, that is just such a crazy movie. It's really like a fairy tale movie more than a science fiction monster movie. The way it is and the way the monster looks, he looks like something out of the Brothers Grimm. You know, he really does. And the first picture that you have from the film, I'm assuming this is a still from the movie, in the section on the Brainiac, yeah, that's exactly what he looks like. If I didn't know I was reading a book about monster movies, I'd think, oh, you know, there's a, there's a fantasy tale, a fairy tale picture right there because of the way he looks. Yeah, with the, the long anteater tongue and the mm -hmm. pointed ears and the widow's peak and the big nose. or It's just the strangest thing. And his head would, uh, you know, expand and pulsate when he was feeding. I was just stunned the first time I ever saw that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, boy, they did some good vampire ones. The original El Vampiro and uh, The Vampire's Coffin and, and uh, World of Vampires. And mm -hmm. Just really interesting, strange movies. There's some movies that I wish they would dub into English. I'm lazy. Or at least put subtitles. Right. Yeah, that, that's the tough part about some of these movies. I mean, we're, it's getting better. It's getting easier to see some of these movies with subtitles, at least. But I have seen a couple of them in the Spanish, and I kind of get the gist of them. But I would like to uh, be able to really appreciate them by knowing what they're saying. Uh, one of them is that uh, Orlock, the Hell of Frankenstein. That was one of the ones that was featured in uh, one of the Mad Monsters books. They did a, a, an article about all the Span uh, Mexican movies most of which I hadn't seen. And I always saw that one. I said, oh, I'd love to see that one. And I had figured that, oh, well, they must have dubbed this into English and it's on TV at some point. And it never, ever came. It wasn't until like maybe two years ago that I found it on, I don't know if it was YouTube or somewhere, but in Spanish only. And I watched it that way and I said, geez, I wish I could really enjoy this and know what they're saying. So I, w I wish somebody would, would take that movie and, and dub it in or subtitle it. We're recording this on Memorial Day weekend, and VCI Entertainment is doing a Memorial Day sale. I think it's like 50% off a lot of their titles. And so, of course, I went and checked out and to see what they had. And they have a ton of the Mexican wrestler movies. Yeah. Real cheap. I'm like, I need to buy all these. But then I'm looking. They're not subtitled. They're not dubbed. And finances being what they are, as much as I would love to add all these movies to my collection, because really, everybody speaks the international language of wrestling, it's not like I should give that DVD real estate space to a movie I'm not going to be able to really understand right now anyway. 
So yeah. I passed, but man, to have all, have all these out, subtitled dubbed would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, people put down the K. Gordon Murray ones for the bad dubbing, but that's preferable to me to not understanding at all what's, what they're saying. And I imagine that's how a lot of people saw these movies for the first time, so they're going to have that attachment. I know that for a fact that uh, at least one of them that wasn't a K. Gordon Murray did have an English dub because it was the original way that I saw it, The Black Pit of Dr. M. Okay. was on television where I live. I don't know when it exactly was, maybe in the 70s or possibly the 60s. The first time I saw it, it was a dubbed American version. And that has since apparently disappeared because the one that came out that I bought subsequently a few years ago is subtitled, thank God. But I'd wondered, whatever happened to the American dubbed version of that? And I would imagine as a horror host... You'd rather show something dubbed than subtitled. Yeah, because it might be a turnoff for people. You know, some people don't want to read titles. To me, that's fine. You know, I'll take that. That's fine. Actually, it's kind of preferable to hear them speak in their own language so that they have the right emotions going and stuff. Sure. Doesn't sound so stilted. But, you know, I know a lot of people, especially if they're watching on the Internet, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to read subtitles on top of it. So. And we talked about some of the Mexican movies. There's an Italian movie in here I want to ask you about as well, because it's one that I've become more and more fascinated with over the years. Caltiki, the Immortal Monster. Ages ago, in a long-lost part of the world, the Mayans worshipped a terrifying goddess. To her, men offered their strength and their devotion. Women offered the beauty of their bodies. Altiki, the immortal monster. Today, courageous adventurers, dedicated scientists of both sexes, begin the exploration of recently discovered caverns buried in the very womb of the earth. From space beyond space comes force beyond measurement, energizing this monstrous mass of man-eating protoplasm that devours every living thing it touches. When her mate appears in the sky, the power of Kaltiki will destroy the world. You can believe what you like. Kaltiki's been reborn. Anything on this earth stop Kaltiki, the immortal monster. Yes. Yes. Oh, you're a fan, it sounds like. Oh, God. Yeah, I saw that in the 60s. Um, our local horror sci-fi show was called Phantasmic Features out of Channel 7 in Boston. It used to be, strangely enough, on a Monday or Tuesday night at 7.30, some odd time like that. The host was a little space alien named Feep, and uh, he showed a lot of the Allied Artist stuff and the AIP stuff. And that's the first time I saw Kaltiki. And um, as a little kid, some of that stuff grossed me out. Um, Did you ever see Kaltiki? Oh, yeah. So when they pulled the guy out of the uh, water and his face is half melted away? Man. And uh, at the end, when the guy that went nuts during the thing and he gets eaten by Kaltiki and his face starts to get submerged into it and he starts to just disintegrate and get eaten up. I was like really grossed out when I was a kid watching that. <laughs> it's pretty I mean, intense I, for what it is. Yeah, I mean, it is. Like, wow. 
Yeah. So I'm not sure if it's an apocryphal story or not, but I think Mario Bava took over the direction of that, or at least was the cinematographer. That's the word on that film, that Bava got involved with it in some way. I don't know all the details. I'm, like I said, I'm getting more fascinated about the movie as I go along, and I'm starting to do some research on it. So you know, if I come across anything concrete about that, I'll let you know. Yeah, um, I've only seen the dubbed version of it. I don't know if there's any other uh, versions of it around, or maybe it's been edited. It's hard to say. I think there's an Italian DVD release that does have English subtitles, but I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to double check. Yeah, he was a really icky-looking monster, though. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Now, the blob somehow seemed nice and shiny. and <laughs> It looks like a big jello mold. I mean, yeah, it's like, oh, cute. you know. Kind of yeah. cute, really. Especially compared to Caltiki. Yeah, Caltiki. I think I said Caltiki looks like a malevolent brownie mix. I didn't know if I wanted to give that joke away, but yeah, you did say that on in there. Yeah, it just, you wouldn't want to come near that guy. Uh, I guess they used entrails and all sorts of junk on uh, to put that thing together, but yeah, it probably smelled. Oh, I, no, I wouldn't want to be on set near that. <laughs> oh. So Dr. Drex B-Movie Museum, how do people get their hands on this? Amazon. Okay. It is on Amazon. It's on CreateSpace. The Kindle version is available as well, and uh, the hardcover version. I always think the print versions are more fun because I'm old-fashioned and I like having a book in my hands. That's where you can find it. I am a Kindle user, so as soon as it became available on Kindle, I bought it immediately. Mm -hmm. And I, I have a physical copy of it in my hands right now as well. So, I mean, I've got both. And like right now, I'm flipping through pages while I'm talking with you, but I read most of it on my Kindle originally. And you did a good job on the Kindle formatting and all that. I know you kind of put this whole thing together yourself, didn't you? Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times with some of these uh, indie-published Kindle books, you have unreadable messes on your Kindle screen. Listeners, if you're a Kindle user, this one, I mean, it looks good on your Kindle. It feels great in your hand, though, to have a book. It's almost 275 pages long. Yeah. That's a lot yeah. of material in here. Oh, yeah, a lot of movies. And like I said, that's probably only half of what I've shown. Wow. So I'm, I'm tempted to, to do a second volume, not just on movies I've shown, but on a lot of other B-movies, too, that I can't show, but that I'd probably like to say something about. So that might be coming. That was my next question, is if there's anything else coming. Yeah. See, I, well, obviously, I'd never written a book before. And at first, it seemed like a daunting task. I said, oh, my God, am I really going to try to do this? And then once I started doing it, I said, boy, this is fun. <laughs> I love talking about this stuff. Yeah. I kind of didn't want to end it. I kept going. And I said, well, I can't make it too big. So I, I better stop somewhere. I had it in mind. Maybe I can continue this and, and maybe I can go further than just the movies I've shown. But start uh, commenting on other B-movies and stuff that I have a fondness for that I want people to know about. So that might be next. So I have you on the show. I have to ask. Any movie projects coming up? Not at the moment. I'm writing a movie. Okay. Called Crawlers. It's a science fiction comedy. I don't want to give too much of it away, but it's kind of like the Desperate Hours. You know that movie, the where the convicts take over person. These. This, oh yeah, yeah. This person. I uh, had that basic premise in mind, but instead of convicts, it's convicts from the center of the earth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to tell you. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I'll, I'll look forward to that. You've got a website somewhere, right? Sideshowcinema.weebly.com. Okay. But I, I am on Facebook as Sideshow Cinema and as Dr. Drek and as myself. I've got a triple personality on Facebook. You're just making sure all your bases are covered. Yes. And some yes. days you feel like Michael Legge, some days you feel like Dr. Drek. I don't know. Yeah. I'm like an amoeba. I just keep splitting off into new amoebas. <laughs> as long as you don't get looking too much like Caltiki, I think we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I see Caltiki coming, I'm leaving. Yeah. Ugh. Hmm. 
Well, I'll make sure there are links to everything going on with you in the show notes. Where can people see your show? Well, various places. If they uh, have a public access channel, it's possible I might be there if they check it out because I'm distributed all over the country, the show, on, on different public access stations, but not all of them, so you'd have to check that. Otherwise, you can see a, a live stream on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights, 10 o'clock Eastern Time, on abmi8.org. And that's a live stream of the show. But you can also see me on Creepy Castle, spelled with Ks. Creepy and Castle is spelled with Ks. Creepycastle.com. I'm usually on their show on Saturday at some point. Because they show all horror hosts. They're just horror hosts galore on there. So that's the places that I am that you can try to find me. Creepy Castle and what they're doing, what Dale and Jack are doing with Creepy Castle is amazing. Yeah, have you ever had them on? Uh, I have not. I've been on their show a couple of times. I keep meaning to get them on here, yeah. but just scheduling-wise and my own unorganized way of doing things, sometimes I haven't made it happen. I need to get them on, though. You should ask, uh, or maybe I should ask for you, Michael Price. He'd be a great guest. Yeah, I've exchanged a few messages with him online, mm-hmm. but that's about it. Yeah. And I've got I've got so many people I want to bring on the show. I'm glad you made the time to do it. I'm glad you got well enough to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Dreck has been sick, ladies and gentlemen, so thank you so much for feeling a little better to come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad, too. So Dr. Dreck's B-Movie Museum sells for $15 on Amazon right now, $9.99 on your Kindle. Go buy it. Go read it. It's got the Monster Kid Radio seal of approval. Check it out. <laughs> You can learn all about Dr. Dreck over at sideshowcinema.weebly.com. That's sideshowcinema.weebly.com. Of course, there's going to be a link in the show notes to that page as well as the page at ABMI-TV and Creepy Castle so you can watch episodes of The Dungeon of Dr. Dreck, you know, when you're not actually reading the book. Hey, comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. Hi, this is Jamie Alexander, the Asgardian warrior Sif from Thor. I went to Marvel. They said, hey, sit down. We want to talk to you about this part. So what happened was I had a knife in my purse. I set the purse on the chair and it fell off and the knife fell out. And then they were like, oh, God, you really are Lady Sif. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one, the only, William Shatner. There's all these rumors out there that you're going to be in the next Star Trek film. Well, I'd like to be in it. You know, I don't want to be a gratuitous character. Like scrubbing the windows on the Enterprise or something? There's a guy on the wing. Chris Pine! (laughs) (laughs) Chris Pine says there's a guy on the wing. (laughs) Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is John Reese davis Hi, everyone. This is Summer Glau. Hi, this is Trisha Helfer, number six from Battlestar Galactica. Hey, this is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior.
tiny punctures of the external jugular vein right side. Any blood? No, that's the strange part. No evidence of bleeding. This medallion, composed of horrors unimaginable, taints the secret heart of Sandra Harrison with the blood of Dracula and possesses the mad mind of Louise Lewis with dreams of limitless powers. I can release a destructive power in a human being that would make the split atom seem like a blessing. A woman overfull with fantasies of terror, stimulating young girls beyond any reasonable control, piercing the Earth's crust to make black magic with the blood of Dracula. Transforming a young girl's love into terrifying bloodlust. Symptoms are identical. Two incisions of the jugular vein. Was well, the killer human or animal? A Dracula. Two updates about MonsterKidRadio.net. First, our artist, Shelby Denham, she created that awesome lineup of monster portraits that you see at our website. We've updated the link to her website. It's now ShelbyDenhamArt.tumblr.com. That is now updated on the front of our website, so you can't miss it. We've also updated, finally, the Monster Kid Radio Patreon campaign. This is version three, and I think this is what we're going to stick with for a while. I updated this at the beginning of June. Changed a few of the rewards, added a new milestone or two. Check it out at patreon.com slash monsterkidradio. And over there, you're going to see a video, which is a collage of the various Monster Kid radioed movie posters. And it sounds like this. My name is Derek M. Cook, and I am your host, writer, and producer of Monster Kid Radio, the Rondo Award-winning podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. For the past 200-plus episodes, we release a new show twice a week covering some sort of classic monster movie, and I'm talking going all the way back to the silence to the late 60s, maybe even toe dipping into the 70s every once in a while, covering these kinds of films. Not only do we talk about the movies, we talk about the fandom of these kinds of movies and have had interviews with people who are connected to these classic monster movies. We've spoken with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, Julie Adams, even Joel Hodgson, and people like filmmaker Christopher R. Mim. I love producing Monster Kid Radio, and with your help, we can make Monster Kid Radio even better. Thanks to the patrons, we've already covered the basics. URL, podcast hosting fees, all of that is covered thanks to those who have supported our Patreon page. Some of our other milestones include things like creating a behind-the-scenes production journal-style podcast. We'll go out once a month with bloopers, outtakes, just kind of my behind-the-scenes process of producing Monster Kid Radio. We can do monthly commentary tracks for classic monster movies because, let's face it, a lot of our favorite monster movies just don't have the commentary track that we'd like to see included on a DVD or Blu-ray release. 
we hit this milestone, Monster Kid Radio is going to start producing those commentary tracks. We also are looking at having some original artwork created for the podcast by commissioning original artwork from various creators and then making that artwork available for all the listeners to enjoy. And finally, our highest milestone, we're looking to launch a monthly audio drama, one part old-time radio, one part classic monster movie, and all parts awesome. And of course, by supporting Monster Kid Radio at the various levels, you may get yourself some nice rewards, up to and including a Monster Kid Radio care package mailed directly to you from the Monster Kid Radio studio. Now, Monster Kid Radio will always be free to download, and the best thing that you can do for me is just download the show and listen. I appreciate having you guys and gals give me your ears for anywhere from an hour to two hours a week. I love talking about monster movies. I love talking about classic horror, sci-fi, and fantasy. I would be doing this anyway. That I get to do it in front of a microphone and share it with people, that's a bonus. The monster gravy? Well, that's hitting the other milestones. With your support, I'm sure we'll be able to hit those milestones soon. And if you haven't already done so, I encourage you to check out the podcast at monsterkidradio.net. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. Thanks to everybody who supported the Monster Kid Radio Patreon campaign. Really appreciate it. I also appreciate all the reviews we've gotten in the iTunes store, all the likes we've gotten on Facebook, all the sharing of the Facebook posts and the retweeting the tweets. Got it out in one take that time about the new episodes coming out. Just really appreciate everybody spreading the word and being part of the Monster Kid Radio listening audience. You know what? We really need to come up with a name for the Monster Kid Radio. You know what? Let's do this. In the Monster Kid Radio Gazette, which is our monthly e-newsletter, I'd like to have a letters column. And because I like the old comic books, I want a name for the letters column. So let's open this up. Listeners, do you have any suggestions for the Monster Kid Radio Gazette mail column? Send in your suggestions to monsterkidradio at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. These are, of course, our regular feedback channels as well. So if you have any comments about this episode or the previous 270, feel free to drop me a line there. This information is on our website, as is the place for you to subscribe to the Monster Kid Radio Gazette. And I try to fill that with some original content, a Monster Kid editorial, a crossword, or some other puzzle involving classic and not-so-classic monster movies. Updates about what's coming up next, links to very, you know, it's just something that I enjoy putting together, and I hope you dig reading it. But you can only read it if you subscribe. This episode is going out on the 9th of June, which is the last day that you can vote in the 2016 Monster Rally Retro Awards. This is honoring the best genre cinema of 1932, 42, and 52. Head over to tinyurl.com slash rallies, R-A-L-L-I-E-S, 2016. Of course, there's a link in the show notes for that as well. At the end of June 9th, the ballots cut off. I'm going to start compiling those results, and then Stephen D. Sullivan is going to be joining me to go over the results. So that'll be coming up here in the near future. What's coming up in the immediate future, though, finally getting Joe Stuber back on the show. It's about time, right? Joe Stuber and I did an epic run through the Abbott and Costello Meet the Monster series. We wrapped it up with Abbott and Costello's Hold That Ghost, and then... We kind of ran out of movies to talk about, but since he's the man behind Comic Book Central, we found a way to merge comic books and monster movies by talking about the 1951 feature film, Superman and the Mole Men. Yeah, we're going to get George Reeves up in here. That conversation was a lot of fun as well. I just love working with Joe. He is a consummate podcaster. He is rocking it over at comicbookcentral.net. 
Guys, gals, you got to check that out. You don't have to be a comic book reader to enjoy the show. He actually focuses on the people that bring comic books to life. So we're talking about movies, television, animation, video games, people who are involved in making the comic books more than just comic books. Thank you to everybody who's listening. I'm going to go take care of this kind of sort of sore cold that I may have picked up from Michael Ludgey. While I'm doing that, please remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song La Revanche du Kuramaku. That belongs to the band, The Wave Chargers. It's on their new EP release, The Wave Chargers EP. You can find it at q-soundsrecording.bandcamp.com, as well as all the other bands that are part of the Q Sounds recording label. You can buy their EP for $7, and you can check out The Wave Chargers online through their Facebook page. However you connect with them, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Ciao. (laughs) 